Hi, my name is Amber and thanks for watching today. Before we get started, we wanted to fill you in on our church. Here at Grace Community Church, we have a mission and purpose. Our goal is to point people towards Jesus. If you are looking for a church, we would love for you to be a part of what God is doing here at Grace. There are a couple different ways for you to start getting connected to Grace. You can check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube, and more information about service times and smaller groups can be found at ohiograce.com. We would also like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. The times are 8.30, 10, and 11.30. We have a great time gathering for music, hanging out, and learning about who God is and how that affects our lives. Thanks for watching, and we hope to see you next week here at Grace. Just a quick update. Uh, first of all, glad you're here on this holiday weekend, and thanks for being with us. Excited about next Sunday. Don't miss that. And then also, just please keep praying about our Tiffin campus. Uh, we're kind of uh, under the gun. We would really like this hard launch to happen in February. Uh, that was, that's an optimal time rather than you get into March, and that's going to be problematic for us. So we want to pray to that end. It's a little dicey on whether we're going to be able to pull that off or not. So if you keep praying about our remodeling uh, and all that, you know, all that's got to go through the state and there's just a lot of stuff to it, but we're shooting for February hard launch. And that means maybe our soft launch would begin starting at the sort of the end of January. So we'll be figuring that out. We want you to keep you just tuned in on that. So don't forget that. Keep praying, please. And also regarding that, Dave, David Stacy is leading a team. Uh, so if, if you're, uh, you can swing a hammer or a crowbar, uh, not that we need a whole bunch of people, just some people who kind of know what they're doing uh, to help with that. That's Wednesday, September 19th through Saturday, September 22nd. If one of those days you could give some time, talk to David and he would love to know that about you. So we're, we're great. Uh, we're, we're very thankful that we have this spot locked up and we're going to try to make it work for us in a timely fashion. And by the way, happy birthday, Mary. I just, uh, just spotted you. So, you know, Mary Cleveland has been doing our signing for over 20 years. Yeah, 25, 27. I don't know. So thank you, Mary. So th this is the time of year, Labor Day weekend, I mean, school is rolling and all those things. It's the time of year when, when freshmen go to college and they, they step into their first classes and uh, they, they start finding, they step into a class and then their professor tells them there is no such thing as objective truth, which sort of belies the whole reason of even being at college, by the way, but that's what they're taught. There's no truth. We can't know truth. There is no objective truth. And, and then they, they walk out of that, maybe wondering why they're even doing college. And then they walk into another classroom where they think it's going to be safe because this is a religion class. And then they walk in there at most of our universities around our country. And then they hear from a religion prof that the Christianity that they believed in is really based on myth. It has no substantiation. And then that's attacked. Of course, as the professor does that, they make a whole bunch of errant truth statements to make their point, which is all wrong. So that's what's happening on campuses. And we just want you to know that 
God gives us truth. And basically, it's truth matters. Truth matters. Today, we're going to learn truth matters. Live it, guard it. Truth matters. And God has not given us a blind faith. People have this perception of Christianity that it's just like, well, you just believe in spite of all the evidence, you just hang on to Christianity in spite of everything that's going on, and and you're just clinging to this blind faith. That is not scriptural faith. Scripture presents us with a reasoned and rational faith. Uh, I'll give you an example. When Paul is in Corinth, and he's talking to a a bunch of pagan people. (laughs) Kind of throwing me off there. All right. Uh, A bunch of, some some guests. I mean, we haven't seen you guys in a long time. Good to see you. But anyway, sorry, (laughs) threw me off. Hey, um, when when he is talking to some pagan people in Corinth, he tells them about the resurrection. The resurrection is kind of tough to believe. And so what does he say? Hey, the resurrection, by the way, that was told, uh, that was talked about in our ancient scriptures, and talking about the Old Testament. Then he says, the resurrection, by the way, that these men, he starts naming people, have seen the risen Christ. And then he says, the resurrection, by the way, that hundreds of people who are still living saw the resurrection. They were there. They saw it. If you question it, go talk to the people who were there because they are still living. That's what he's saying. He makes a rational case. Why? Because truth matters. And we need to live it, and we need to guard it. I was just um, listening to, to uh, Ravi Zacharias, and, uh, and Ravi was saying, um, he was talking about how in the past, when people proclaim things, um, it wasn't that everybody got a hearing. You sort of had to earn the right to speak into people's lives. And so when people made true statements, when people made claims, typically who you listen to are people who you knew or you knew something about them or you knew their credentials or you knew something about their life or you knew where they were coming from or you knew where they went to school or something. And today... People in our society spend morning till night reading statements of people that we don't know anything about, that that anybody can be heard. Everybody's voice is out there claiming to be true, and it doesn't matter if it's somebody who's, who's learned a bunch of stuff and has a lot of credibility or just some person who doesn't know anything sitting in their pajamas in the basement typing things out or passing on things as if they are true. Truth matters. Truth is real. Truth is objective. Truth we can hang on to. And as Christians, truth we can live out And we're also told to guard it. That's truth. Liberal college professors want you to believe that Christian faith can only play within the safety of certain churchy structures. And it is not robust enough to validate itself against any other claims. 
they create an artificial, supposedly scholarly boundary beyond which they say Christian faith is not strong enough to travel. Do not believe it. Truth matters. And Christian truth matters. Today, people reject the idea of objective truth, which is crazy because they have to make truth statements to do that. But they reject the idea of objective truth. And we talk in our churches, we talk about doctrine, and doctrine is just a series of truth statements Truth matters. As Christians, we are to live it and we are to guard it. And as we do that, it will change our lives. We could have people come up, flow through um, our service and talk about how God has changed their lives. We could do that all day. But we have one story for you from Nick Spell that I'd like you to hear. Uh, I'm Nick Spell. I'm uh, married to Amy Spell, and I have two children, Luke James and Jake Ryan, and just have a wonderful family. When I was younger, I grew up with a good family. Uh, we went to church, we were Methodist, and when I was 12, went through a really hard time. We were in a car accident and my mom passed away in that car accident and I was injured myself and was in the hospital for two months. While I was in the hospital, uh, obviously a really hard time, but a, a man, a stranger, came into the room and spoke to me about the gospel and, and preached the gospel to me about how Jesus Christ had, had died on the cross for my sins and that, that allowed me to have a, a personal relationship with, with Jesus and uh, at that moment you know, I, I received my salvation and uh, you know it really allowed me as a, as a 12 year old who was, who was shy and quiet to be able to talk to someone about the issues that, that I was going through with losing my mom and uh, it was really a, a defining moment for me. So then I started adult life, you know, was working a ton, was a workaholic, was trying to control everything, trying to do things my way, and would do the same thing with my marriage. And it was really affecting both areas of my life, trying to live life my way. And, you know, at one point, a wife asked for a divorce, which was really hard to hear, you know, especially when you think you're doing things the right way because you think it's your way is the right way uh, and then ends up she went to rehab for uh, substance abuse which again I felt like I was a big part of that problem and, and was a big part of that problem and just at that point really felt like life was going in a, a downward spiral. At rehab Amy found Christ and found her salvation down there one of the things that she did was to find a church back here and we were able to find grace and it was just such a blessing from God and you could just see the changes in her, the way she communicated, the 
energy and, and light behind her that she just had the Holy Spirit in her. So we were attending and we were studying the book of James. Kevin was going through basically how to live life God's way. And it really hit home to me, obviously being, you know, controlling and wanting everything done my way. Uh, it really hit home. And I remember at the end of one of the surface services, you know, Kevin's talking about how to live life and he goes into the, the sinner's prayer. And in that moment, while, you know, people, he's asking people to accept Christ, um, and I know I, I already had, but there was just something I wasn't doing, and that was, I wasn't really following God's way. Um, so I took that time to talk to God and, and tell Him that I hear you. I know you have a, a game plan for my life, and that I'm ready to not just accept you, but to follow you. Living life my way has caused so much hurt, pain, anxiety, knowing that God has a blueprint for my life has added so much joy and peace and freedom, knowing that God calls me to live His way. Appreciate uh, Nick's testimony on that, and I'm sure a lot of us would say the same thing, that when we actually started following God, that it, it changed our lives. All of a sudden, as we fo started following God with our lives, we became less self-absorbed, more about others, trying to meet other people's needs. Changes our relationships, changes our world, our perspective, everything. And, but it all starts with truth. We've been in a series, Blueprint, and it's just, we've been going through First Timothy, just hitting every verse through there. And, and last Sunday, in this last chapter six, I pulled out a couple of paragraphs that were dealing uh, with a specific topic. And so now I want to go back today, last, last uh, part of our series, and just grab three sections of scripture so we'll cover every verse uh, in First Timothy. And I want to pick it up. In verse 3, 1 Timothy 6, verse 3, and here's what he says. And again, we're talking about God's truth changing lives. And remember, in Scripture, doctrine is just another way of saying a set of truths that are held together. All right. Paul says, if anyone advances a different doctrine, he's talking about truth, and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. But he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth." who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. And, and what happens is later he's going to say, flee these things. Do not, do not flee avoiding doctrine for whatever your motives. But basically he's saying here, truth matters. 
And he's writing this in the context, Paul writing to young Timothy, who's pastoring a church in modern day Turkey, and things aren't going so well there. He's instructing Timothy how to shore up the church. And he's pointed out that there are false teachers that have crept in. And with this false teaching, they have undermined the gospel. And that he also revealed a motive of that, which their motive then was financial gain. You have false teachers coming in, and back then teachers were, were sort of paid for their, their teaching. And so for financial gain, they are sharing this false doctrine, this false truth to make themselves more wealthy that's contrary to the gospel of Christ. And Timothy is being challenged to reject that, flee from that, hang on to the truth. Why? Because truth matters. And we have the same thing today. We have preachers uh, in the prosperity theology movement or the health wealth that, that are getting up and telling congregations of people that God wants them to be rich, and if they would just send in a little seed money or a little this or a little that, God is going to bless them financially. And they're doing that for financial gain or so they can have a jet or whatever the case may be. They're doing that for a reason. But when they do that, intentionally or unintentionally, it undermines the gospel. And, and it's not just preachers that do that. People who call themselves Christians, often we undermine God's truth for our own personal reasons, whatever they may be, not financial, but whatever those reasons are. And, and we cannot change God's truth. We cannot change, adjust, or tweak doctrine. Rather, the truth of, from God, the truth of his word, should change us. That's what we see all through Scripture. Hebrews 4.12 says it this way, For the word of God, talking about this truth, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to, to judge the thoughts and intents and intentions of the heart. You hear that? The word of God is sharp, living, active, like a two-edged sword. I have a, here, here, what he's talking about is a, a double-edged knife. And this knife is harder and sharper than I am. So if I was to rub this knife against, this knife would cut me and I would start bleeding. Some of you would get slightly nauseous. It wouldn't be good. God... This is, how, this is how Scripture presents God's Word. It impacts us. It cuts us. This is a Nerf sword. This can't cut anything. I can't wait till my grandkids are old enough to handle one of these so I could channel my Jack Sparrow and school them. It's a Nerf sword. It does nothing to us. And what we've done, even as Christians, is we accept some of God's truth, 
But the truth that cuts, the truth that hurts of God's word, we turn into a nerf sword that can't do anything to our lives, cannot change us, cannot impact us, cannot cut us. It does nothing. So you hear people all the time, well, I believe the Bible. I believe the Bible. I just don't believe that Jesus is the only way to God. You've turned the Bible into a Nerf sword. Oh, I believe the Bible. I, I just, you know, I just really can't, can't go with those ancient standards of sexuality. I can't buy that. You've turned the Bible into a Nerf sword in your life. And so we have all these areas where we accept God's truth, but then we have these other areas where we don't accept it. Oh, I believe the Bible, but, but I just don't believe it, that, that God would allow people to go to hell for eternity. We turn the Bible into a nerf sword in our life that does nothing. Nothing. It's kind of a little fancy thing this sword has that I... You know, again, just getting ready for the kids. But, you know, there's some, some, there's some stuff you can do with this, baby. But anyway, yeah, this is what we've done. It can't hurt anybody. We, we do not let the word, the truth from God, cut us anymore. That's what Paul is reminding Timothy that he wants him to get. And you can tell when this is happening in somebody's lives because when they have some personal issue in their life that they're really rebelling God in, they're struggling with what God has to say, say they stop looking at God's word and they start talking to their friends or looking things up on the internet, searching for somebody who will tell them, oh, God just wants you to be happy. Do whatever you want. We make God's word a nerf sword in our life and, and we don't even realize we're doing it we don't change truth truth should change us Paul is writing to Timothy saying truth matters live it he's saying Timothy truth matters live it live it out he's saying Reject the error, and then he says to pursue. Here's what he says in verse 11. But flee from these things that I read earlier, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. How do we live it? How do we live it out? Truth matters, live it. Well, we live it by pursuing it. And then he lists these six areas, righteousness, talking about uprightness in our conduct, the way we act, the way we behave, godliness, our connection with God is vibrant, faith and love, the supreme Christian values. He talks about perseverance. This is endurance that we hang in there, that we keep going, we keep the faith, we stay the course. And gentleness that characterizes our Christian life. That's what he's telling us. And pursuing these virtues, for example, reflect the reality of the gospel in our life. 
And we talked a little bit about this previously, but if you're looking at, you consider yourself a Christian, you're looking at your life and you, your life has not changed. You're in a rut and you read a list of virtues like this and you're thinking, well, that's not me. Well, that's a red flag. That's an issue because it's, it's virtues like this showing up in our lives that validate or, or reflect the reality of the gospel. And if you're not pursuing these things, then you're not living the way God intends you to live. And it may be that you've, you're just in a rut or you've gotten off the right track, or it may be that you don't have the Christian life that you thought you had. So he's saying live it. We live it by, by pursuing these virtues, we live it by fighting the good fight. Next verse, verse 12, he says, fight the good fight of the faith. Actually, in the Greek, the article's there, so it could be, fight the good fight of the faith. Fight the good fight of faith, he says. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now, Hey, take hold of that faith, that good confession that you made in front of a bunch of witnesses probably is referring to Timothy's baptism. Could be his ordination, probably his baptism because God expects for believers to experience public baptism as a part as they come into a church and get connected with God. And so that's what we're doing. That's why we do what we do. This next Sunday, that's why we want you to come, to see the people whose lives have changed, and they get baptized saying, I'm now living a new life in Christ. The old life is gone. I have a new orientation. I have a new perspective. I have God in my life. Not because I've earned it, deserve it, because of His grace, His goodness, because of what Christ has done. He continues, uh, he's saying, fight the good fight of the faith. And by the way, this fight, this, this, the Greek word where we get agony, it's the struggle, struggle for the faith, contend for the faith, fight for the faith, agonize, sweat for the faith. Live it out in that way, he's saying. And then we live it out by keeping Interestingly enough, the commandment. Let's check this out. Next verse, verse 13. I charge you, Timothy, Paul's saying to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you, here's the charge, that you keep the commandment. Kind of interesting, keep the commandments is the way we would kind of say it. And he says, no, keep the commandment. Well, what commandment is he talking about? He is lumping together the charge, the faith, the truth, the word. He lumps that as one. He says, keep the commandment from God. What he's telling us how to live. Keep that you keep the commandment, verse 14, without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time, he who is blessed and the only sovereign king, and then Paul kind of goes into king of kings and lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in an approachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion, amen. So what Paul's talking about, fight 
Keep the commandment until the appearing of Jesus. Live it out. Follow it. Don't make it a Nerf sword. Stick to it. Struggle. This is not struggling for your salvation. Your salvation is given to you as a free gift. But fight the fight of the faith, he's saying. Live it out. Grab on to the gospel until Jesus comes back. Because we serve a God who is worthy and transcendent and majestic and far beyond us, who is immortal, who dwells in an approachable light, who no one can see in his spirit. Nobody has seen that God who revealed himself to us, that God. Truth matters, live it. Truth matters, live it. And then Paul says, truth matters, live it and guard it. And now we go to the last two verses that we haven't covered yet, the last two verses of this book. And Paul comes complete full circle talking about protecting the doctrine, the, the faith, the commandment, the truth, the doctrine of God, his word. And he comes full circle. And here's what he says in verse 20. And you hear the emotion as he wraps this letter. And this letter ends a little differently than other letters. No, hey, say hi to this person. Hey, Lorraine, how's it? And it's not that, that kind of a thing. It's boom. He ends in a different way. And he says this, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. O Timothy, Guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly empty chatter and opposing arguments and what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. Done. Grace be with you. Is how he ends. And you catch that emotion in what he's saying. Oh, Timothy. Oh, Timothy. Guard. Guard what's been entrusted to you. This word entrusted, is, it's like in ancient times, this was a sacred obligation if somebody gave you something to hold on, to watch over them, or it's like a deposit. They've deposited this, like a safety deposit box. I mean, a sacred trust that we would guard what has been given to you, what's been entrusted to your care. And again, can, takes a shot at these false teachers who missed the mark of the gospel, has gutted God's truth of, from the gospel, just gutted it, wandered from the faith, the commandment, the word. Reject their arguments. Reject their faults, what they call knowledge. Oh, hey, we've got the better way. We've got the enlightened way. We've got the deeper way. No, it's the gospel. He's reminding him. And that's where truth starts. With God and with his revelation. Turns out, just as we suspected could be true, God created the heavens and the earth. We're going to talk about that next week as we start a new series. God created everything that we see, the earth and everything in it, and God created us. And God not only created us, but he made us different from all other creation. He made us in his image. And we have 
the, the thought life, the, we can think rationally. We have this awareness of our own existence. We have this mind that can sort through and examine truth claims. And not only do we find out that God is creator, which makes perfect sense, but we start realizing that God has revealed himself. And not only in creation in a general way, but in a specific way, he's revealed himself and that he is powerful and that he is righteous and that he is good. And I mentioned that last week. It's one of the scariest truths in the Bible. God is good. Why is that so scary? Because we are not. And in his goodness is wrapped up in God's justice. And God being powerful and good and just is just what we would want in a God. If it wasn't for our own lives. And then we recognize that in God's goodness and God's justice, that creates an issue for us that God spells out for us. That in our rebellion and sinfulness, we cannot have a connection with a holy and righteous God. And that in our sinfulness and rebellion, whether intentional or not, God's justice demands that that be punished. And that kind of makes sense. And for God to just say, hey, don't worry about it. Justice is not served. God is perfectly just. So he can't do that with justice not being served. And so again, that, that puts us in a predicament. And then the punishment for our sin, that we can understand punishment, but we think the punishment is beyond the crime because our punishment is eternally separated from God, but we think that because we don't know God. We don't understand his righteousness. We don't understand how big of a sin it is to rebel against a totally righteous, loving creator God who gave us life and breath. And turns out, that punishment is severe because of who we're sinning against. But God is also love. And God continues to love us in spite of our sin and our rebellion. And then he made a way for us to be forgiven without violating his perfect justice and his holiness. But that came at a great cost and personal sacrifice. He allowed his one and only son, Jesus, who exists as God, with God, in Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus, the Son, comes to earth, takes on human flesh, lives a perfect life without sin, only person to ever walk the planet and do that, and then voluntarily allows himself to be tortured to death and separated from God in that moment in payment for our personal sins. Jesus Christ pays our payment. And the way we get that accredited to us, the way that counts for us as individuals, is not by earning it. It's not by doing a bunch of religious stuff. 
It's not be by joining a specific church. It's simply through faith. It's simply through believing Jesus, who he, who he is, and trusting that his death on the cross was sufficient to pay for all of my personal sins, past, present, and future. But when we put our faith in Christ, God's truth will change our lives. You see, what happens is God's truth cuts us. It slices us. We realize we are in rebellion. If you don't have that, if God's word has never cut you, that you've been concerned about your own sin and rebellion against God, that you've come to the place where you've admitted you're wrong, then you've not allowed God's word to cut you like God's word is intended to do. We can't be a Christian. You cannot become a Christian without realizing the severity of your sin and being repentant of that sin. But when God's word, when his truth cuts us, we realize what we've done to the creator who loves us and we repent. We change our thinking about God it changes our thinking about everything. We turn and live a different life because our life has been reoriented toward the God who loves us. And if you call yourself a Christian and you have not experienced that reorientation in your life, it's a huge red flag. If you're saying you're a Christian, but you no longer allow God's word to cut you in any area of your life, that in some areas you've just turned God's word into a nerf sword, that's a concern. And it could be one of two things. It could be that you never had the Christian life that God wants for you. You never really understood it. You just intellectually kind of got it, but you got it sort of with the intention that you never intended to follow God with your life. You're just going to live your sort of moral life. But no, God's not the boss. You are. Or it's, so it's that you never really were a believer or you're a believer who has gotten into a rut and you should be expecting God's discipline. Because he says he disciplines his children that he loves. Just like we would discipline our child who is going the wrong way, heading for self-destruction, messing up their lives. And so it's one of those two things. And you then would need to repent. Because once we repent and come to God, the repentance does not end. We keep coming back to God. Our salvation is secure, but we keep coming back going, God, I admit it. I have strayed in this area against you. Help me be stronger. Help me focus on you. Help me follow you in every area of my Help me allow your truth to cut me and change me and mold me and transform me into who I need to be. And so before we close this morning, I, I want to give you an opportunity to, if you don't know where you stand before God, to, to turn to him. And, and please remember, please understand that 
that it's not just saying some words in your mind or even out loud. Uh, the sinner's prayer is not just some phrase that we say and it obligates God to, to save us. It's really an expression of our true faith and trust in Him, but that comes with a desire to want to follow Him, to be changed by Him, to recognize that He's the owner of your life. So I want to give you that opportunity now. If we just bow our heads, and if you're here and if you're not sure that you've ever really come to God with the idea that he's in charge of your life, that you ought to be conforming your life to him in your repentance. And I don't want to leave the service without giving you that opportunity. And, and it would just be something like this, that you would make this prayer your prayer. You can do it silently. God knows your every thought, that you'd express something like this to God. It's the expression of your faith that's important. Maybe you can make this prayer your prayer. Father God, I understand who you are, not fully, but that you're creator, that you're holy, righteous, that you're just, and that you've created me to be able to think, and I understand through that process that, that I'm not holy, and I've rebelled against your standard and your truth, and your word confronts me with that, cuts me about that. And God, I'm sincerely putting my trust in Christ alone for my salvation that it, I cannot earn it. It's that Christ paid for my sin that I'm incapable of paying for. God, I thank you for Jesus doing that and I believe who he is, that he's truly your son, God in flesh. And God, I cry out to you, and, and I ask you to, to, to change my world, to, to come into my life and reorient it toward you. That I would allow you to challenge me, that I would recognize that you should be in control of my life. That, that I would at least have the desire to follow you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for still offering and inviting me into a relationship with you. And thank you for making it possible through Jesus in Christ's name. With our heads bowed, if you prayed that prayer, I would like you to acknowledge it again. And that prayer would just be a, an expression of your faith. I would like to know that. I would like you to acknowledge that. If you just raise your hand where I can see it, I just appreciate that. And just let me kind of see you and make eye contact with you and put it down. I see both of you right over there. Thanks. Thank you. Just kind of let me see everybody else's heads down. Thank you, sir. Thank you, both of you. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Just put it up. Thank you. Thanks. And right back down. I see you. Thank you, sir. Thank you back there. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you right down here. And you guys. Thanks, both of you. Father in heaven, we thank you for these who have just indicated, Lord, that they've understood your message, your gospel, your good news, that, that your God were not. We violated your standard, but you made a way for us to be forgiven without violating your justice and your holiness and your righteousness. 
And so, God, we, we confess we cannot earn our salvation, but we just trust in Christ, trust in you. And we trust in the fact that the death of your son is sufficient to pay and cover all of our sin. And not only that, that you trade that sin in our lives for the righteousness of your son in your eyes. And God, we thank you for that. And Father, if there's any here who are already believers and they know it, but they've just strayed, they've gotten in a rut, they have an area of their life that is just leading them away from you, Father, we pray that you'd give them the strength to allow your word to cut their heart, that they would repent and come back to you. And God, thank you for always inviting us back, even if you have to discipline us for us to see it. We welcome that. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for watching, and we hope to see you next week here at Grace.